Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Be Better Podcast. Uh, we are kicking things off here this spring and kicking things off with uh, with new guests. And um, we're going solo today. I don't have anybody with me in the studio. It's just me, no Devin, no Gabby. Um, it's, it's refreshing, but uh, a little bit lonesome. But uh, we have a very fun and interesting guest today. Um, we have someone who is uh, in the nutrition field. She's a she's a uh, nutritionist. Her name is Alex Larson. She is from um, from near Duluth. We'll get into that later because I have many 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 questions about this. Um, but it is fun to have uh, a triathlete who uh, who is a nutritionist and has all the things that we want to have in mind because uh, sometimes those are very very specific so uh, without further ado I'd like to welcome Alex Larson to the program Alex welcome to the be better podcast well thanks Chris I'm super pumped to be here this is gonna be fun yeah so um, so so give us a little bit of background about you and how you came uh, came into nutrition and came into uh, triathlon yeah so um well, I'm a Minnesota gal through and through, and um, I, you know, originally went to college, and my family is very much in the healthcare field. I was surrounded by nurses, so as a child, the dialogue at the dinner table was heavily medical jargon, and um, so I knew I wanted to be kind of in that healthcare realm, but um, I'm terrible with blood and needles, like my parents are very disappointed yeah. in my lack of ability to, <laughs> to handle an injection, like a shot. Um, so anyways, I knew I needed something different. And uh, my mom introduced me to a dietitian at the Duluth hospital. And I shadowed her for just a couple hours. And I was like, yeah, I can do this. Like, this seems fun. I like food. And that was literally like my revolutionary decision for my career. Which... <laughs> Based on the fact that I like food, this will be cool. <laughs> yeah, like, I was like, I like to help people, and this, like, it, it's, I don't know, like, I don't remember specifically why, what it was about that, but, yeah, it just, that was how I chose my career. But then when I went, went to college, I went to UW-Stout in uh, Menominee, Wisconsin, and, um, like, the first couple core nutrition classes I took, um, I met some of the other dietetic students and we all are very like type a driven, very similar personalities. And I was like, Oh, I am with my people. Like this is, this is the right uh, career for me. And I just loved all of the, the different science and, and research behind nutrition um, and how it applies to what we eat. Um, and it just kind of continued to grow and grow, but it wasn't honestly until um, I graduated from college that I, um, I knew I needed to have some sort of goal in mind in terms of like my physical fitness. I like to be really active. I do better. I have a better mood. I'm a happier person. And so I had been swimming throughout college cause I'd broken my foot. I think like my sophomore year from a horse riding accident. Ooh, ouch. And, um, yeah, I had a, uh, an external fixator sticking out of my foot for like an entire summer. Mm-hmm. And the doctor told me I probably was never going to run again, but I was like, ah, I'm going to try and run eventually. But I started swimming once I got the fixator taken out and, um, and I loved it. I got I'm a pretty, pretty decent swimmer. Um, so then when I finished college, I signed up for the brew house triathlon, which is you know in my backyard, essentially um, being from Duluth. 
And I'm not a superstar athlete by any means. Like when I say I'm average, like I'm a very average athlete. Like I can run a 10 minute pace all day long, but like pushing it to like a nine minute pace is like, I'm dead after like a mile or two. So I'm very, <laughs> very average, <laughs> but I mean, I still do it and I really enjoy it. And I always try and like improve like my pace and my strength and, and my time. So I did the brew house. I wrote, wrote a, I think I bought like a $600 um, hybrid bike from Eric's bike shop yep. in the cities. I rented a wetsuit. I was like, no clue what I was getting into, but I absolutely loved the event. Like it was the energy and like the positivity from like the other racers was so just inspiring. I mean, there was one lady that I just met right in like transition and she and I chatted a little bit and then like, she was cheering me on as I was finishing the run. And I was like, Oh "Oh my gosh, like that's, I mean, I just loved it. That's awesome. Um, What year was this? Uh, 2009. All right. This is where I love how our stories begin to merge because the brew house triathlon was my very first triathlon as well. And I did it on a mongoose comfort bike that was left at my house at one point in time. (laughs) And I went to the outlet mall and bought like spandex, you know, like an under armor muscle shirt and some spandex shorts, which I thought that's what you were supposed to wear. But I didn't have a wetsuit and I was like the only person without a wetsuit. And, uh, and, and I had the same thing. It was like, it, I, I fell in love with the sport there. So, um, maybe Rod Raymond has a little bit of like, like special sauce there. He's, uh, putting into that race to get everybody to be, um, just, you know, drooling over the sport after that day. Yeah. It's a great, just like local race that, I don't know. I just, I have a very special like place in my heart for the brew house thing. And, and now it's at Island Lake, which, which I that's one of my favorite lakes to swim in yeah. on a Grayson, but, um, it used to be yeah, the, the, the bike there used to be around Pike Lake used to be just so brutally like, like pothole uh, ridden and then they, uh, fixed, yeah. and then they fixed it. So that's, uh, that's much better, but, um, it's always a good excuse to make it up North cause it's just, I mean, up North is like, you know, it, it makes you whole and when, and I don't know that people outside of Minnesota understand exactly what that means, but like coming up North is like, uh, like, like, you know, like going to Mecca, it is like, it's going to a place that just revitalizes you. Yeah. I, as I say it now, cause I've, I've been back um, in my hometown now for about two years and I just, people are like, Oh, do you like being back home? And it's like, I live where people go to vacation. Like that's just, I just love it up here. That's so a cool great. thing. That's, that's very cool. And you, so now let, to be honest, like you're not in Duluth, you're in Esco. Right. I am. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so, okay. So I need to just get something off the table here and I, I need to ask <laughs> this question. I know you've been, I, I, I know you've been sweating bullets on this one. So I <laughs> announce the, the Lutzen 99er, uh, mountain bike race up in Lutzen and, yep. uh, announce a couple of their mountain bike races. And I cannot tell you how many people from ESCO end up coming up there and doing that race. And I feel like at some point in time, like 85% of the population of ESCO has, has, has left and went to one and went to these races. And I'm wondering what is it about ESCO that brings out more, more athletes per capita than anywhere else I've ever seen. And I like, I, cause I get the name, I get where they're from and it's like another ESCO, another one from ESCO, another one from ESCO. And it's like it, it to be and you, I, I don't want to like, 
call you guys like a speck on the map, but you guys are not a big city. Uh, oh, you you flatter us by calling us a city. I mean, we are a town, like, <laughs> a very small community where, I mean, it's basically the school and a four-way stop, and there's, like, one restaurant. We now have a liquor store, which when Whoa. I, like, left for college, there was it was a dry um, township. Okay. And um, so, yeah, it's, I mean... What it's really small. So what is it? What what is it about Esco that you guys are like you you flood the race scene? Is is, is it just something in the water? Is it something? Is it like a? Is it just a natural phenomenon? Am I just fixated on the word Esco when I see it? Like I don't understand. Um, I I honestly don't know. I mean, we do have a very very good um, athletic department at the school, and it is a fairly active community but um were yeah, you aware that that were you aware that so many people go to these races or is this something i've just noticed and and has been unique that way um i mean i can just think of a couple a few guys that i can think of that are pretty hardcore that live in esco um but yeah i don't know i mean is it possible that like people are are labeling themselves from Esco just to try and hide or to be <laughs> to you know be a part of a cool pop culture? Like, is this like the like you know I would say like the um, like the North Loop in, in Minneapolis being like where all the hipsters say they're from, but you know a lot of them aren't from there. Is is is, is, is this where is Esco the like the hip mountain biker mecca of the North that I just have not identified yet? Because I have not I been know. given, I've been not given an invitation to say that I'm from Esco ever. So I mean, I well, you are always welcome. I mean, <laughs> it's a pretty, it's a pretty nice little community. Um, if you've got, if you've got kids, it's a, it's a really great school district. So, um, yeah, I don't, I mean, yeah, I mean, we do have, we do have a, a couple really fast, um, like runners that I can think of in our area. Um, All right. I mean, I'm thinking like. Um, to name drop, like Greg Hexum, um, mm-hmm. is the high school principal here. He's a very, very good runner. And then, um, Kyle Schmidt, yep. he run. he's got, um, the Duluth runner blog and, um, he's got a couple kids. His wife's a teacher here at ESCO. Um, so yeah, I don't know if they just like, well now I've, I've, I've been I, doing I've, their, doing their due diligence and encouraging others to run. I don't know, but now you have a, a, you have a, a great community. You have an, a heightened awareness of the fact that, that the town is, and I'm not trying to like open this up for like burglars to come and like, you know, no, feel like the town's been evacuated, but it just, it's something that I've always like for years, like I would say for five years, I have just been fascinated by this and no one seems to have a great answer for me as to why. So I just thought I'd, you know, since I had you in a very, very focused position that I could put you on the spot and say, Alex, tell me why Esco is so, so much of an athlete town. But maybe it really... Yeah, I mean, I will, I will say that the community is very much surrounded and focused on, like, the school athletics. Like, the basketball program is very, very good. The football team usually does well. Um you know, when I, let's see, in 2000, they remodeled the school. So they added like a little fitness center in there. And so like, it's very much like the sports kind of are a pretty big deal. And now we have our new sports complex that came, that probably went up in, um, I was in like probably 2010 or so. Okay. Um, so we have a, an artificial turf football field and a, a very nice track and a stadium and 
Um, so yeah, I mean, it's very much centered around like the school athletics and I'm sure that just kind of feeds into the adult lifestyle as well. Well, that's good. So you went on from the brew house to, to do an Ironman. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was a, like, cause in 2009, I went off and did my, my internship, you know, to be a dietitian, you have to, um, you know, finish your degree and then you do, it's basically like a residency. You match with a program and you go off for a year and you do your internship and, and then you take your exam and you become a dietitian. So, um, I took a year off from triathlon, um, and I moved to Winona and did my first job, um, in working in a supermarket for Hy-Vee and, um, Winona is very well known for Trinona. And mm-hmm. so when I heard that they had their own uh, race, I was like, well, I've done a triathlon before I'll do this one. And so, um, that community also has a lot of, um, very good athletes and is a very active community. And so I fit really well into, to that area. And I did Trinona a couple years and then I just made some really good friends who were also really into triathlon. So I just gradually every year would continue to do more, more events and farther distances. And so in 2013, I did um, the Chisago Lakes half um, and I had I was like I'm going to train for a half I was like I'm not going to do the full because that's just crazy and as soon as I crossed the finish line I was like uh, yeah I'm going to do the full and I signed up for Ironman Wisconsin that fall um, so that was <laughs> just you just never should say never because oh yeah your your viewpoints change yeah um, so, and, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, what's funny about signing up for Ironman Wisconsin is that I, training for it, I did all of the things that you're not supposed to do while training for an Ironman, minus having a baby. Uh-huh. I made very poor decisions, but oh well. Would, um, so I... I um, you want to expand engaged. on any of those? I will expand, yeah. So I got engaged in February of 2014, um, decided, um, cause I had been dating my husband for like 10 years. And so there was no like long engagement plan. I was like, Nope, we're doing this. So I planned it in like three months. And so we got married in June. And during that time I was obviously training pretty heavily and decided I needed a career change. And so I changed jobs and then we sold my house in Winona and moved to Rochester that summer. So I changed jobs, got married and moved all while training for wow there's a there's a lot there there's so much yeah i mean why make it easy on yourself though right i know i i I feel like eventually i need to redeem myself and and do another iron man and actually like just not do any crazy other things during it but we'll see well it's tough i mean because you have you've got one son correct I've got two boys. Two I have boys a, now. Okay. I have a 17-month-old and a four-year-old, so two uh, boys, and they are bananas. They are two very wild children. Well, and, and as a mom, a working mom, you know that it's tough to balance all that out, and that makes yeah. it, so it makes it tough. And, and, and you know, it, there are times when, you know, that I would say most times when family takes the priority. And, but, but I have trained a lot pulling kids in burlies. You can always do great training rides. You just don't go fast. You could maybe like, you know, pop on the munger and, and head down to White Bear Lake, pulling the kids and, you know, <laughs> stop at Toby's and, you know, cinnamon rolls for everybody. 
So that'd be yes. a good good flat route for you. Um, good safe route. Uh, maybe you know drive up or, or ride them up to the uh, uh, the Dairy Queen in Moose Lake. You know some some fun things. Yeah, I mean it's definitely you have to get really creative. I feel like as a parent, like as an active parent that's yeah. training for an event, um, I'm doing Grandma's half um, in a few weeks here, and um, yeah, it's just on the weekends get up early and get your run in, or you know, yeah, say to my husband like, "Hey, I'm going to be gone for an hour, like hold on the fork for me," and I mean, it's it's a balance. There's, there's, yeah, it's for sure a balance. Like, it's it's tough. Yeah. And I realized the two things that I said what you could do with your kids were totally not nutritionally based. Uh, Dairy Queen and uh, cinnamon rolls from uh, from Toby's. Oh, so, right. so um Well, I, I am a dietitian that all foods fits. Like, they're, I'm not one of those, like, restrictive dietitians that, like, is going to tell you you can't eat certain foods. Like, I feel like, um, you know, I'm definitely, like, a pro-carb all foods fit kind of, kind of gal. Yeah. So, you know, the, one of the big things that, that, you know, uh, two points that I, w- I wanted to kind of get on today. Number one is, uh, you know, especially in long course triathlon as a coach, I've always tried to, you know, advise athletes that there are three things that they need to balance or they need to do right. Mm-hmm. One is pacing. One is hydration. One is nutrition. Um, from a nutritional standpoint and being a triathlete, are there any insights that you have gained, um, in how, what differs from the nutritional needs either during or, uh, or before that you didn't know probably going into it, or you had some preconceived notions like as a, as, in, in going into the, into the, that space, because Ironman's a, you know, a whole different ball game and long distance. Is there, is there any things that you learned from that nutritionally that you, that you brought back to work with you? Yeah, I feel like, it's well for me it's really helpful um to have that like experience to like understand how difficult it is to um fuel your body for training for an Ironman and completing an Ironman because um the amount of calories that athletes have to consume to keep up with their energy needs it's like a full-time job like you're eating all the time it's really rough so like, I feel like my heart does go out to my athletes because they, like, they're like, it's, it's so hard to just constantly be like thinking, okay, I'm going to get hungry in two hours, what I'm going to eat, like, oh, I got lunch, like, how am I going to put together meal? Like, it's a lot of work, and it takes a lot of thought. So um, I feel like I do have a really good understanding from that point. Um, and then also, like, a lot of endurance athletes have issues like, like GI issues. Mm-hmm. And how to overcome those um, and finding the right products that won't upset their stomach and will provide them the energy they need to perform at the level that they're, that they're wanting to. So I think that's, um, for me, some of the biggest learnings being a triathlete is being able to do that. And that's honestly what inspired me to work with athletes. Like when I crossed the finish line of Ironman Wisconsin, that's where I was like, that was my, that's where I found my calling. I was like, I feel like I need to help endurance athletes like do this because I literally just witnessed how nutrition can make or break your race. I mean, I wouldn't have been able to cross that finish line if I didn't have my nutrition strategy on point. Yeah. 
And knowing that nutrition is like very individualized. I mean, it, the, like, yes. and that's one of the things that I think athletes don't understand is, you know, they'll go to listen to a pro talk and they'll say, yeah, I ate such and such a thing, or I took these supplements or I lived off of, you know, like kale and bacon grease for a year. And that's exactly what made me fat or fast um, or fat <laughs> for that matter. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and they start chasing those things down from an, I've always said that it's, it's very, the journey into the race is identifying what works and what doesn't work for you. Are there some parameters or, or like kind of like, you know, I would say bumpers that you try and establish early and then refine down for athletes and, and what are you, how are you kind of driving that conversation and, and, and what are the things that you're looking for when you're saying this is working best for you or this is what you should do? Yeah. Um, you know, we, we definitely have like general nutrition guidelines, but I think it's also important to know that there's always exceptions that we can always adjust things. Um, and you hit, hit it right on the nail. Like it's so heavily individualized. Um, so with it, with a, you know, when I take on a client, um, uh, a lot of times we focus on first and foremost, what their goals are, make sure that they're realistic. Um, and then right away, I try and work on like just the everyday nutrition, because I would say the majority of my clients are under fueling, um, especially if they're training for an Ironman. Um, it's just so common for them to be not getting enough calories. Yeah. Um, I've got a, I've got an ultra distance runner right now who I started with in March and he was under fueling by about a thousand calories a day. Wow. That's and a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. And so like I gradually had to work him way work him up to, you know, about twenty eight hundred, twenty nine hundred calories a day. And his pace and his endurance and stamina has just flourished. I mean, he's every week he's like, I'm running like better than I have in years because he's like providing his body what it needs. And he had he had gained about 20 pounds over the past two years and he's down eight already and he's eating a thousand calories more a day. Wow. So it just goes to show like how kind of making sure that you're first of all, providing your body enough fuel and the right type of fuel can really help your performance. Um, Absolutely. And also it can help. I mean, that's just a big one right there. And then also, you know, fueling around your workouts is super key because a lot of, I see it all the time with a lot of like runners is they'll, um, go run, they'll run fasted. Like they'll get up in the morning and they don't have anything in the tank. And so it's like, they feel like, you know, they're going to train low and then they, they fuel up well for their race. But think of all that potential that they lost during their training. Right. Yeah. So what, like, if, if you had to give one like key nugget of advice, to to triathletes what would from a nutritional standpoint what would that that be if you had if you could kind of put that out there mm-hmm. um i had to pick one Gosh, just i know one. it's pretty tough i mean thinking like you know <laughs> under fueling over fueling you know going only one way or the other focused you know yeah well, I think a lot of athletes, they underfuel because they're afraid of gaining weight. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like the wrong mentality. So, okay, here would be my one advice is I would make sure that your mindset is, is focused on, I'm going to eat to fuel my performance and not, I'm going to train and exercise so that I can eat. 
I think, I think a lot of athletes are just afraid of that weight gain and therefore they're going to exercise so that they can eat more food, but they have to switch it around. They have to think about fueling their body and eating so that they can perform at the level that they want to. It almost sounds like what you, you know, and I know that this has been part of it, but it's almost, it can be considered an eating disorder at some point in time mm-hmm. where athletes, I mean, you know, they'll, they're, they starve themselves because they have, you know, they have a, a, a visual of what they think a high level athlete should look like. And that's a, and, and that is not necessarily the best, I would say for making you, uh, like you said, fueled. Um, but also, you know, people that will train super hard just so they can eat and not feel guilty about something, which is not a good pattern to get into. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. You know, and, and watching that out, watching for those pieces. Cause a lot of times when, when triathletes are trying to lose weight, they think, Oh, I'm just going to, I, you know, I, I should be able to eat whatever I want because of look at what I do. And then I'm not losing weight. What's the problem? Where's the, where's the hang up there? Um, if you have somebody like that, what do you, what do you tell them? Like somebody that says, how come I'm not losing weight? I'm doing all this work and what, what am I doing wrong? Yeah. So there's, there's a concept out there that is called metabolic adaptation, um, which is very, very interesting to me. And I will fully admit that there, there hasn't been a lot of research done on it with the athlete community. It's been more focused on like sedentary adults. Um, but it's interesting how when you're not eating up, when you're restricting your calories beyond a certain point that our metabolism basically will tank, like it will, it will suppress itself. It goes into this mode where it's going to conserve every bit of energy it has because it's feeling like it's starving, like it's in a famine. Um, you know, our body very much loves to adapt. And so when it comes to, fueling for our performance, you know, we want, we want to make sure that our body is well, well fed so that it, we can keep that metabolism at revving. You know, we want it to, yep. so, so that's where, um, for a lot of athletes, they, they kind of get like that backwards thinking that, Oh, I'm just going to restrict my calories and keep working out. And therefore what ends up happening is they're really hungry. And then they start like binging all of a sudden and they're not eating the right things and their performances and suffers. And it just kind of snowballs. So, if we can reset the mindset to thinking I'm going to fuel for my workouts, I'm going to get enough energy. Um, we get that metabolism back up. Then we can start adjusting that body composition, maintaining the muscle, um, dropping some of the body fat and we see much better results. And it's in a healthy way, which is great because the athlete has more energy and their performance in their training and their races is just incredible. Yeah. So, for, so listening to you say that, would I be safe to assume that you're not a fan of fasting or, uh, or any of those type <laughs> of type of fads like periodic fasting or cleansing or, or those type of things? That would be very correct. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of um, like the fad diets. Um, the intermittent fasting just rarely works for like, especially the endurance athlete. Um, now, I think sleeping through the night is about all the fasting we need, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Um, and I, like, you know, the thing about keto and the whole um, low-carb deal, um, the, you know, there's just not a high success rate with those. I think for some athletes that are 
um, doing really long workouts that at a very low, low intensity that that can work. But if you're doing a higher intensity training or race, like the keto is just not going to do it for you. It's not going to cut it. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's, like I said, there's always exceptions, but for the most part, the research continues to show that the, the carbs are where it at or where it at, where it's at when it comes to fueling for endurance activities. And that's, that's difficult for athletes out there because there's a lot of information um, and that people are, I would say a lot, there's, there's enough information out there to confuse people um, from people saying, or from, from experts or, or people who are knowledgeable in the field that are saying you can change your body to run more, to, to burn fat more efficiently than it does, or make fat a primary fuel source versus, versus carbohydrates. And they think that is a, you know, they, you do the math on it if you can make that, or if it can, if you can do that. Obviously, you have um, a lot more, uh, a lot more glycogen stores that you could tap into uh, versus, um, you know, just with, with carbohydrates, you have a lot more, uh, a lot more calories that are available to you inside your body and not having to to fuel specifically. But that's that's difficult to try and to try and move the metric on and and to say you, it's not really a probability for you to change your body. Um, to burn only fat as a primary fuel source. Yeah. Yeah, I think what's, (laughs) you know, it sounds super exciting when you talk about a diet that's going to burn fat, like you can burn fat while you're working out. Like, it sounds like, just hearing that, like I can see why people would be attracted to that. But you have to also also think of like the other aspects of a diet like that. Um, Yeah. And and first of all, it... Well, I was going to say that it's, it's, it's a long, painful process to try and go to that mode. Like yeah. it, you feel like crap, especially like for at least a couple of weeks, if not longer. Um, and then it socially, it's really hard to like go out to eat with your family or have like a birthday party for your child. And, yep. and oh, you tell your kid, Oh, I'm not going to have a piece of your birthday cake because I'm on a keto diet. Like, is that the type of message that you want to tell your kids? Like, like, I don't know, like for me, like that's where I really struggle with it is it's, it's really difficult socially as in addition to trying to, trying to implement it into your everyday life. It seems to be easier to, to advise people to create balance and to, to, to use more portion control if that's, if that's what you're going to be doing. Also, you know, just instead of chasing down supplements, just try and take your nutrition in holistically, like with real food. Um, yeah. And, and this, and you know, this is where the other thing comes from, uh, especially with long distance athletes is trying to advise them how to fuel at Ironman and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and listening to people who are essentially just taking gels and chewables and, you know, uh, I would say processed, not processed, but like, um, like chemically created food products. So, you know, that might be just like liquid nutrition and, you know, they, they try and run the numbers, but they don't understand the, you know, how that affects blood sugar, how that blood sugar roller coaster can, can have a long-term effect on, on you and, you know, in, in a race and how the body responds to it. Um, is blood sugar something that you, when you're talking with your athletes from a nutritional standpoint, when they're racing, is that, is that something you're trying to address or are you trying, trying to create balance or control over? Um, I wouldn't say not necessarily blood sugar unless they're like 
a type one diabetic, then it gets a little more complicated, but, um, more or less, I try and give them a parameter in terms of how many calories and carbs that they should be having in, you know, that every hour increment, um, and kind of, especially throughout their training, training their gut to be able to take that amount while they're exercising. Cause that's a whole nother discussion of, um, you know, training your gut to, to be able to handle that, um, and hydration. But I actually am a huge fan of combining both like the real food aspect of things and some of the sports products. I think they like doing a combo is really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, because sometimes it's really difficult to get in enough calories when you're doing just real food. Um, and especially when you're like, let's say, you're in a part of the race where your heart rate's really up. It's like really hilly section, but you're kind of feeling like you need some energy. Um, and you know, with real food, you have to like chew it like a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And when you're breathing and chewing at the same time, it can be like almost dangerous. Like you're like going to choke. Like it's it's difficult. And so sometimes it's nice to have, um, a water bottle with some energy in there that you can, um, you know, consume, get some carbs and calories through that um, during that really heavy, intense section of the race. Um, Cause we find that the liquid calories do tend to get digested and absorbed faster than the real food. So I like to actually do a combo. Um, one of my favorite real food options, um, especially during Ironman on the bike is uh, like soft boiled potatoes. Oh, absolutely. My favorite. Um, I boil them in like heavy salt water. So they're nice and salty and there's no wrapper um, it provides a really nice slow release of um, carbs and energy. There's some potassium and electrolytes in there. Um, and, oh my God, I just love them. That's my all-time favorite. How big are they? Is like, are you like carrying a couple of like uh, Idaho russets or <laughs> Not, like? No, no, no. They're like um, the Yukon Gold, like the smaller ones that are like just like a few bites. Okay. Um, I'll put that in my fuel belt, and then, um, gosh, they're so good. They're just like my favorite. And that, that's where, you know, that, that is where it becomes individualistic. It's uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches yeah. are my go-to. Yeah. Uh, Smuckers oh, yeah. are those are awesome. be- because they're compacted. They are mm-hmm. frozen. Um, so when you're advising on the bike for calorie consumption, how many calories are you normally trying to uh, advise a, an athlete to consume inside a window um, to, so that they're not doing too much, not doing too little? What's that, what, what is that window that you're, when you're asking athletes or when you're trying to derive what that perfect number is, where do you kind of start from? Yeah. So, um, it usually depends on the length of their training or their race. So if it's something, if we're talking like an Ironman, so, um, anything basically two and a half hours or more, an all day event, you're looking at anywhere from like 200 to 360, 360 calories an hour. Um, and you know, if it's an all day event, I mean, as soon as you get out of the water, you should start taking in some calories. Cause once you get behind on energy, it's really hard to get caught back up when you're in an all day event. Yeah. Um, cause the math's not working in your advantage because if you like, let's say for the bike, you're burning around 750 calories at an aerobic rate you're only able to put in, let's say, 330 per hour. Yeah. The numbers aren't working for you, are you? Are they? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Especially even with, like, um, hydration. You know, if it's a really hot and humid day, like it was in Chattanooga this weekend, it's a 90-degree 
high um, on the run, like you're basically just trying to delay dehydration as much as much as possible. I mean, it's just it's just tough because you, know, you can't. And, and, and tell people why they, like, I mean, I know, but I'd like to hear from you, like, in your words, why can't we eat more than that number? Or why can't we drink enough to keep us hydrated if we're, if we're out there um, racing? Yeah, so our, our stomach and our gut can only digest so many calories and carbs at a time. Like, it's just. Yeah, that's just our absorption rate only, you know, it maxes out. And so if you get to the point where you're just overloaded with fuel, you get like sluggish and you just, you know, your stomach just can't keep up. And, and especially with that high intensity workout, um, you know, if you're hitting a hilly, really hilly section and your heart rate's shooting up, our, our body um, will divert some of that blood flow away from our, away from our gut and I'll put it in our muscles where it's needed. And so that food's just going to sit there. Um, so you gotta make sure you find that balance in between like getting enough so that our body can use it, uh, but not having too much so that we're, you know, our stomach's just overloaded. Yeah. And that, and that's kind of where training comes in where you're trying to define how much can you actually process before it becomes, I mean, cause we obviously don't have a, a way to look inside of us to say, Oh, no, we still got some, some, you know, fuel in the tank. Um, but you can, but it definitely will, I mean, you could see it later if it came out, um, you know, but, but, um, but that is kind of where training comes from, don't you think? And we're, you know, you, yeah. you say, this is what I want you to start with and then maybe add a little bit more and how do you feel yeah. and, and how did the performance go from, from there, from a fueling standpoint? Yeah. And there's some tactics too, like, um, you know, if you're consuming a sports product, that's like, for example, like just straight glucose or straight dextrose, like, you know, you might tolerate it really well, but that's only like one pathway that our body, you know, dextrose and glucose get digested just in one pathway. But if you have a mixture of different carb sources, like if you have some starch and some fructose and some glucose, that actually can help increase your absorption rate as well. So there's a few different tactics that we can do as well to help speed things up. Um, but yeah, you really do have to train your gut and, and gradually work your way up to that end goal of, you know, if it's 320 calories, um, an hour, you know, helping train your gut to get really efficient at doing that and doing it while you're exercising, um, at that certain intensity level that you've been training at. Yep. Yeah. You're setting yourself up for way greater success, um, come race day. Are you, are you promoting or are you advising to also consume on foods, on the bike uh, that are coming from different glycemic uh, index levels um, to, to create some uh, uh, variance in, in, uh, in fueling, or is, is that as important? Yeah, I, I actually don't focus on glycemic index just because um, glycemic index is extremely confusing. So I try and keep things as simple as possible with my athletes because um, you know, for example, like those um, Uncrustables that you talked about, mm -hmm. you know, it's got some peanut butter and some jelly and bread in there. Um, you know, glycemic index is then going to change because of the fat that's in that peanut butter. So, and the protein that's in peanut butter. So it gets a little wishy-washy with that. And I try and just keep things as, as clear and simple as possible. So I don't go into glycemic index. Okay. Do you, is a, is a variance of food intake important from a, I would say a palate standpoint, especially like being oh, out all day? Yes. 
Yeah, I mean, flavor fatigue is brutal if you don't have um, a few extra options on hand. I always tell my athletes, I'm like, have a backup plan, like have multiple flavors, have extra extra nutrition with you um, because you never know when you're going to accidentally drop something or uh, all of a sudden that product that you've been using all season long and it's been your favorite um, just some random hour of the race just sounds like the worst thing in the world and it's good to have a backup like that I mean for sure having a variety of options is is really helpful yeah it's a long day out there and you don't want to if one thing goes sideways on you you want to make sure you have something else there and I, I I know that it's that taste is very unique as well and sometimes a mixture of salty and sweet and and just kind of blah plain is uh, is important to have um, yeah I would say that taste is probably the number one most important thing when it comes to choosing a sports product because if hmm. it doesn't taste good to you then it's literally useless yeah um, one last question is that, that we haven't touched on is, uh, is sodium, which is, you know, sodium intake and supplements are very important, uh, to the mm-hmm. long distance athlete. And it can be very detrimental if those, uh, those the sodium levels in your blood serum drop to a certain point. Um, yeah. what is your experience with that? And, and, and how are you advising athletes to, uh, you know, with sodium intake and supplements, uh, these days? Um, well, again, it's case by case basis. Um, I like, because I like to have my athletes do a combination of both um, real food and sports products. Um, I usually always just try and make sure that the real food that you're there, that they're eating um, has some sort of sodium, sodium component to it. Um, and then with obviously a lot of the the sports beverages, um, they'll have some sort of electrolyte base to them as well. Um, so yeah, just making sure that we have a plan in place that they're, they're consistently getting a supply of electrolytes throughout their, their race and their long workouts. Um, and then if it's, if it's a race that's notoriously known to be extremely hot and humid, um, I'll usually have them trial with some sort of like salt tablet it's not a sometimes you can have some stomach issues with those salt tablets but for a lot of athletes they do work really well um so I might have them trial that in their training just to make sure that it's an option for them to have um during the race as well if it's if it's going to be a really hot and humid one because I had a client a couple years ago that um lived in Singapore and Mm. it's a very very humid climate so he he used a lot of um, those salt tablets just because when we did a salt test or I'm sorry, a sweat test with him, he was losing about two and a half liters of fluid an hour. Um, Just from that, that climate, he was just a very heavy sweater. And so for him, I mean, it was like all, all the salt for him was basically the plan because that's a lot of fluid and a lot of salt. Yeah. I, salt is one of those things that I know uh, as from, from my experience, um, can, can be very harmful. I mean, if you, if you go, yeah. if you go hyponitremic, that is, that actually can, you know, that can shut you down. Um, it can be actually oh, yeah. physically I mean, it, dangerous. It can, it's, it's awful. I mean, you can die from it. You, yep. I mean, for some, some athletes that have had a, had hyponatremia like it takes months for them to feel back to normal I mean it's it's a really big deal so 
it's definitely a, should be high on the priority list, making sure that you have some sort of form of salt. And and what's interesting is like, you know, when people are like, oh, I cramped up, I'm going to eat a banana. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, let's look at your hydration and let's look at your sodium. Like, those are the, the top two priorities in my mind. Um, like, the, the eat a banana is just kind of an old, yeah. an old um, remedy that needs to go away. Well, and it's funny with, uh, so I, I, I do work out at the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs and, and they always have different uh, articles kind of hanging around or studies that have been posted for, for the athletes. And cramping is one of these, uh, you know, kind of the mysteries that I think athletes have had and many products try and, you know, um, try and create a false remedy for them. Um, the, the, the science that I've seen as of late um, have really not, number one, not been able to, to identify a, a dynamic singular uh, cause for cramping. They, they took um, athletes who were at the Olympic Training Center, obviously fully trained, and tested them from a dehydration, a, uh, an electrolyte standpoint, and a fatigue standpoint, because they were looking at maybe it's one of, the th- one of those three or some, some combination of that. And they found that you know, they were, people were cramping but not dehydrated. They were cramping, and they were not, were not undertrained, and they, their electrolyte levels were, were, uh, were within standard. Um, one of the new things that I have, have read is uh, a neuromuscular reaction, and that is one of the reasons that they are possibly believing cramping is occurring. And the way that they're alleviating that is to try and create a neuromuscular break. Uh, and the way they're doing that is with uh, through taste. So essentially what they were doing is they said, we try and distract the brain from recognizing that a cramp is happening in order to alleviate it. So what they would do is they would have an athlete who began to cramp take lemon juice or something that was like, or, or, or they would, they would have like a a pinprick or a small cut, something that was dynamically distracting to the individual and to see if that had a reaction. And they were actually finding that that was almost as effective as some of the more traditional pieces that, that we've, we've thought of to, to cure cramping. And I was wondering if you've, if you've heard anything or read anything about that. No, but I'm so intrigued by that. Like I just, this is what I just love about like sports nutrition is they're always continuing to do more and more research and there's new information coming out that can really help benefit athletes. So I love that you shared that. That's super cool. Yeah. And it's, it's, I mean, they haven't defined it. They haven't like said, this is exactly what it is, but they found, they found a correlation there. And so, you know, if you think about like products like pickle juice and things like that, that people take when they start to cramp that partially that, that, that bitterness where it's like, Ooh, that is that, that kind of break that they might be, it's not the sodium in it, but it's the, it's the bitterness or that, that super tartness that is, that is changing some things. Um, Yeah. Cause you you hear athletes that are like, Oh, I drink it and I instantly feel better. I'm like, well, I don't think that it's like the sodium instantly getting, you know what I mean? It's gotta be like, like you said, that, that mental piece. Yeah. Or if you've seen athletes that like have a quad cramp and they like hit their leg, and, you know, mm-hmm. as, as a way to almost, it's almost like a defibrillation. Like, you know, you go into, you know, uh, like how do you create, if you think about it, it's, it's very similar to how, um, uh, somebody in, in, uh, uh, VTAC, a heart attack victim, you know, the heart is, is all the muscles are beating at a regular basis. They're not in synchronicity and that is causing, you know, uh, a, 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 a rhythm that is detrimental to the human being. It's not, your heart is not working. You're going to die if we don't kind of correct that. What do they do? they stop it 
And then the, then the muscle resets and everything works in time and it's fine. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, it's very similar to that same idea of how do we, you know, cause the muscle spasming and it's not working and there's, there's, there's a, we have to be able to kind of like disrupt the signal to the system. And that is essentially where I think the idea of this process came from. And I was like very intrigued of how that's a super unique way to approach the problem instead of coming at it from, yeah, eat a banana, drink more water, you know, take a salt tablet. Yeah. No, I love that. Yeah. The other thing I always like to do is when talking about salt and, and people always ask, well, how much salt should I take? Um, I kind of go with, there's not really a high, high amount that's going to be detrimental to you. And they're like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, have you ever been to the Minnesota state fair? And have you ever seen people walk around? Have you ever seen somebody drop over from too much sodium from corn dogs and euros and French fries? And, you know, and like I said, so, and they're not exercising. So if you're burning all that off, I think you're safe to overestimate than to underestimate if you're trying to find out what that magic number is. And I'm not sure from, from a, from a nutritionalist standpoint, if I am, if, if I am like really propagating good information or am I, should I just kind of back that one up a little bit? Well, I mean, I guess my disclosure is, you know, especially if you have like uh, blood pressure history of blood pressure issues, like always consult with your doctor. Yes. Um, yes, yes. They can they can probably be very helpful in making sure that you're not going to do more harm than good. But yeah, especially if it's a hot and very hot and humid day, and you know you're going to be sweating a ton, like I would say, have more options than less when it comes to things that, um, will have provide some salt and, and sodium in there. Well, great advice, Alex. Great advice. <laughs> hey, I can't thank you enough for coming and, and uh, chatting with me today and demystifying some of the, uh, some of the rumors about the city of Esco and, and how people are, <laughs> uh, are able to, you know, better fuel themselves in long distance. We really just touched on a few things and we could, we could easily spend hours doing this. Um, if if you want to if you want to consult with Alex or find out more about her, uh, alexlarsonnutrition.com is her website. Alex, how else is a, is there any other ways that you would like to have people connect with you? If, uh, if- yeah, I I am on Instagram and I've got a Facebook page um, and I've got even a little private Facebook group that I even take a deeper dive into nutrition as well. So you can find me at Alex Larson Nutrition on there. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I look forward to seeing you at some point in time down the road and calling your name at a finish line. Cause I know since you're from Esco, you will be somewhere that I'm <laughs> going to be at. Um, in the meantime, thank you again for coming on and, uh, and for being out here. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This was a pleasure. All right. And everybody, thanks for joining us for another, uh, another great episode. I promise Gabby or Devin would be back. Well, maybe not Devin. Cause you know, you know how we are together, but Gabby will be back sooner than later. Um, get out there and do some races, support your local race scene and, and, uh, and just get involved. The, the weather is turning well. Uh, make sure that you are practicing, uh, uh, safe health out there and, uh, we'll keep moving forward down the line. And, uh, on behalf of myself and, uh, and Alex, uh, we just would like to ask you to go out there and be a little better. Have a good one, folks. Bye-bye.